Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, we bid a tearful farewell to Maurizio Pochettino, then immediately wipe away those tears to welcome the Jose Mourinho experience back into our lives. What does it all mean for Spurs, the Premier League and Daniel Levy's excellent spreadsheets? There are thrills at Bramall Lane, spills from West Ham's goalkeeper and belly aches for several under-pressure managers. How long can Emery, Silva and Pellegrini expect to last in their jobs and who could replace them? Plus, a high-quality football match in Manchester, a Liverpool team that has forgotten how to lose and Gareth Bale's muddled priorities. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined, as per, by JJ Bull. What's going on, JJ? Hello, Tom. I watched all the football this weekend. It was great. I'm very excited by Aberdeen's new uh, chairman and investment on board and link with Atlanta United. You're speaking about 80% quicker than usual, so you're clearly very excited. Well, there was lots to get in there in a short period of time. (laughs) Well, it's been a busy weekend. Plenty to get through, so I'm going to need you to maintain that pace at all times. Alongside JJ, it's the boy wonder, Sam Dean. How are you, Sam? I'm good. I'm sitting in Mina's chair today, which is exciting. Uh, I hope to provide the same insight that she does. Yes. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Big boots to film, mm. and uh, we'll welcome back Mina next week. Alongside Sam, completing our lineup in the audio recording facility, it's wearing all black in mourning. It's Alistair Tweedale. That's How are black. you? This is blue. <laughs> Come on, fair dramatic license. <laughs> you're, you're a Spurs fan. You were very sad about Pochettino leaving. Yeah. Well, I could say I'm wearing all black in homage to uh, Jose Mourinho, maybe. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get into that. And we are joined as well on the phone by Matt Law. How are you, Matt? I'm good, I'm good. I am at Hotspur Way in the car park, hanging around. So. Before <laughs> wow. we go on to that, has Sam Dean mentioned to everybody that he scored a hat-trick at Wembley last week? Oh, nice. surely. We'll be getting into that later, Sam. He looks very happy that you've mentioned that. <laughs> you've got to get into that. He also missed a penalty, so get into that oh. too. And what kit were you wearing throughout that? Uh, uh, QPR? Yeah. 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 It was a nice fit, actually. It was very comfortable. Yeah, we need answers about this. But first... Jose Mourinho, Maurizio Pochettino. Let's let's get the inside story from Matt. Your uh, reporting with John Percy really uh, set the news agenda over the past couple of weeks with this, Matt. Um, how long was this all in the works, the sacking of Poch and the appointing of Jose Mourinho? When did this process start for Spurs? Uh, in terms of when myself and John Percy kind of got onto the scent of this, it would have been... Um, it was the Monday of the start of the international week. So we're talking two weeks ago now, I think. Um, yeah, two weeks ago today. And myself and John basically started to get wind of the fact that um, there was actually a chance that Pochettino could go before the West Ham game. At that point, two weeks ago, we were kind of talking with each other, having spoken to various different sources, saying, surely, surely he's not going to go before the West Ham game. Um 
and we ended up writing a story together about the fact that things had got irretrievable um, and the West Ham game looked a very big game, but there were problems before that anyway. Um, now, the, the, the kind of following week was a bit weird because obviously England took over and it all went a little bit quiet from the outside at Tottenham. But since it's become clear, there are a lot of meetings going on. Um, Pochettino largely remained in the country, which is actually quite unusual for him during an international break. Um, he will usually go back to Barcelona for most of it, but he remained in the country and, and coming down the, the training ground virtually every day. And I think that was to do with meetings. I'm told that during that week, um, the idea of him resigning was floated, which he um, refused to do and said he wouldn't resign and that he wanted to see out the job. And then obviously it all came to a head pretty much last Monday. I mean, last Monday, again, uh, myself and John wrote another story saying that this time pretty much he was on the brink, that the players were braced for change, that there'd been some crisis meetings. And then it was just a case of negotiating it all. Have the players turned against him, Matt? Um, I don't get the sense of turned against him. I get the sense that a lot had become tired under him. A lot had become slightly bored of the same regime and way of doing things I'm sure there are some who aren't happy with him you know I can't imagine Christian Eriksen's been very happy with him for a while there's always going to be players not playing who are not happy but I think they all still like him and I think that's borne out by the fact that a lot of them went to visit him at his house uh, last Wednesday he was sacked on the Tuesday um, all the players had left by then so as we we subsequently saw on social media that Pochettino had left this note at the training ground for them, but a lot of the players felt that they they had a responsibility to try and see him face to face, and hence they actually, as a group, made pretty much all made the decision to to go over there and, and try and see him to to say thanks. And do you think Spurs and Daniel Levy are going into this arrangement with Jose Mourinho holding their nose a little bit? Are they wary of what Jose Mourinho means, what appointing him means for their long-term strategy and and their kind of status and philosophy as a club? Or are they just happy to have such a serial winner alongside them now? Well, look, I mean, last, last Tuesday, when the minute Spurs confirmed Pochettino sacking, the first text he sent us to contacts, who's going to get the job? And... All three of my first three texts came back immediately, Jose, and I was really shocked. And I just couldn't get my head around why Daniel Levy would do that. I still can't really. I know they won at the weekend. And I, I, look, I think it'll be good to start with because Jose's generally like that. Um, I, I sense the next six months will probably be all sweetness and light. But in my opinion, he's appointed someone or throw him under a bus eventually. Um, yeah. And I, I, can't, I can't give you a reasoning from my point of view why they've done it. Um, I can't reason it out. I can't find an answer to to think, well, have they done it reluctantly? Have they, is it a marriage of convenience? Or do they really think this is going to work? I just don't know. I'm just so surprised um, that Levy's gone down this route. Um, and I do think it will end in tears. I, I think it will take a while for it to get there. I think, like I say, I think probably the rest of this season, everything will be great. But um, it'll end in tears. Uh, what do you reckon about Pochettino, though? Do you think he's devast- he's devastated to have been shown the door and would want mm. to have stayed longer? Or do you think that actually kind of suits his career now and where he's going? No, I, I think it probably suits him. Look, he didn't want to quit um, because he didn't want it to end that way. And, you know, no one wants to be seen as a quitter. Um, yeah. So there was no, no way he wanted to walk out. But uh, look, I, I'm sure he was devastated last Tuesday and annoyed. 
but I think probably now the dust has settled, um, I think it's best for him as well. I think it, it's good. Look, I don't see the Jose thing being good long term for Tottenham, but I think it's probably best for everyone the way things were heading that they, they made the split when they did. I don't think Pochettino's reputation has been damaged. Um, and that's probably proven by the fact that Bayern Munich already pretty much want to hire him. Um, I'm sure if the Real Madrid job came up tomorrow, he'd be very high on that list. Similarly, Man United. So I don't think it's done him any reputational damage particularly. Um, and I think he probably is in need of just a little bit of a break and a reassessment and to get back on an even keel. All right, Matt, we'll let you get back to your hanging around car parks. Thanks very much for joining us. <laughs> Cheers, thanks. Hi, I'm Katie Morley and I'm the Telegraph's Consumer Champion. It's a big job title, but what it really means is that I help readers who are being ripped off. I've heard from scam victims, people whose insurance won't pay up, readers who've been on horrendous holidays or been fleeced by car hire firms. You name it, I've dealt with it. And I've managed to win back over £800,000 for our readers in less than six months. It's not always easy, though. I've spent hours on the phone arguing with companies and stepped in where the police refused. And time, as we all know, means money. That's where our subscribers come in. If you subscribe to The Telegraph, you're helping fund public service journalism like this, as well as great podcasts like the one you're listening to. So, if you'd like to help support what we're doing and get unlimited access to the huge range of world-class journalism, head to telegraph.co.uk slash audio. You can get 30 days free access to The Telegraph online, and after that it's just £2 a week. That's telegraph.co.uk slash audio, or click on the link in the show notes to this episode. Right, back into the core audio recording facility where... We have to talk about Spurs, who played West Ham on Saturday. Suddenly looked so much better, Sam. 3-0 up. Deli Alley back in the team, playing well. Eric Dyer back in the team, not playing all that well, says Ali Tweedale. <laughs> uh, but um, is this a case of immediate credit to Jose Mourinho, or is it players just suddenly deciding we're going to stop playing again? Um, I think credit to Mourinho. I think the he, players... He did say afterwards, I made no impact. And I think mm. when Matt talks about sweetness and light, we're seeing that did straight he, off the bat. Did he not say, I made no impact, all I did was change the tactics and the shape and the selection and <laughs> made no impact. Um, the, uh, it was interesting the way they... They did change the way they played and the, the players said as much to themselves afterwards, basically saying that we chose not to play out from the back anymore, which was obviously a big part of the Pochettino strategy. And to basically have two holding midfielders in Eric Dyer and Harry Winks who had not played together or not started the same game since December last year. So that was a partnership which Pochettino never backed, never wanted to see, partly because of Dyer's injury problems, I'm sure. But Mourinho's come in straight away and said, I want that to be my midfield pairing. Um, he obviously likes Eric Dyer, tried to sign him for Man United, um, by all accounts has, has a relationship with him uh, away from the football. I've spoken to him at least uh, a few times over the last couple of years. And I think it'll be interesting to see how much Dyer plays now going forward, particularly as he was barely getting a kick under Pochettino before. Um, and yeah, I think the way they played was was different. It, it, ben Davis played very deep, sort of as a sort of third centre back. Really, Aurier was allowed to push forward, and tactically they looked a bit more sort of robust and resolute than they have done in recent weeks. But just on just on what Matt was saying about the logic behind it, I was I was thinking. Um, Sam Wallace wrote a really good column a few weeks ago about the structure at Spurs and the sort of lack of um, basically any sort of thing, any sort of structure beneath Pochettino. So essentially you've got 
Levy and Poch as the two sort of pillars upon which this whole thing was built. Whereas when you compare that to other clubs, even just in London at Chelsea and Arsenal, there's a lot more of a sort of footballing structure, like a department there um, and a head coach situation. Spurs haven't got that. And that sort of change over the last four or five years because of how well Poch has done, it's sort of been built in his image. And when he goes, obviously that all disappears with him. It, so for me, it sort of makes sense as a short-term, well, two or three-year fix to have Mourinho come in and essentially keep the first team ticking over, keep them competitive with an ageing squad, which he's notoriously better at dealing with older players than younger players. It makes sense to keep that ticking over while in the background, Levy begins to construct a structure which would be more suitable for someone young and exciting like an Eddie Howe maybe or a Julian Nagelsmann who would fit the Spurs bill perhaps more obviously than Mourinho. I totally agree and I think uh, it's kind of the whole thing about him being called a head coach rather than a manager. There's a lot has been made of that and I agree that Mourinho will just allow um will just get on with things and just allow Le- Levy to do anything he wants in the background. Um back on the pitch, I do think that uh there was something in the attackers that uh if you're playing been t- being told to play the same way at week in and it's just not working as it was under Poch, when you get told it can be probably be quite discouraging when your attacking patterns aren't really working and just a new manager coming in and suggesting something new and then you score three three goals by the kind of 50th minute or whatever you probably do get a huge boost from that so that's probably played a bit of a part in like well that, that will just build morale and Danny yeah. Ali's brother is so good <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're much more direct weren't they that was the big change for me was how quickly they got the ball like through the line, straight from defence. Even Gazaniga was putting it long up the pitch rather than always out from the back. And uh, that doesn't mean that Mourinho wants him to be booting it long all the time, but rather than uh, tip-tap passing up the pitch and what was happening to Spurs a lot this season was that they they were passing slowly and build-up was so slow that other teams got behind the ball quickly and they couldn't then break them down. But Mourinho had them... Uh, it was basically a, a back five and a, and a forward five almost as, as though there was no midfield. Everything was going straight forward to the to the forwards. The front four played there and had already come up the right to join in. But they were all allowed to run with the ball at people, which is something else that they've not been able to do recently. And it seems so- to suit that actually seems to suit that squad better than definitely playing more constructive. And Son said play. something in his post-match interview about always about more focus on the second balls. Yeah, uh, mm. which and that's it because Mourinho wants to play in transition. Like yeah. all his teams have been about um, creating chances by causing the other team to be out of shape and then pouncing on pouncing, them there. Yeah. It seems like Jurgen Klopp says, you know, he's no better creative player than uh, hitting people on the counter attack. And you see, I think particularly I wrote something this morning about uh, Deli Ali, and I think him in particular will. Uh, will really look good in this because he is so good working on instinct like you saw that little uh, flick he does where he's lying down yeah, I mean it's, it's it's not the greatest trick of all time <laughs> it's the, you know you do it at five or side or whatever but it's it's the way he thinks he's very imaginative but he does it on the spot and I think when he's behind play maybe he's he's not as good as certain players like Christian Eriksen because they're quite rare that you can pick someone out like that but when you're in tight spaces and working quickly and having to do it in a split second Ali's one of the best that there is that can do it you're happy to have him back Jose JJ I love Jose Mourinho I think it's great And <laughs> Ali, box office it's fantastic yeah, it's true it's true and Ali we've spoken about your sadness about the end of the Poch era and Mourinho coming in do you think that's fairly typical of the Spurs fans you know or, or is it going to actually ebb away quite quickly the ill feeling towards Mourinho if you keep winning um, yeah, it will. There is definitely a large, uh, largely a feeling of sadness. Um, I do think that uh, the kind of like thing about oh, we'll uh, 
Pochettino made us made us different kind of thing um, is is overplayed slightly. Like it is just about winning, and if Mourinho does that, then people will come round. Um, but I do think that there is something slightly positive in Poch leaving now because if the season had just carried on and they'd finished mid-table, that might have ruined his legacy a little bit. And leaving now, uh, there is just no negative to to him. I mean, he didn't win a trophy granted but Tottenham fans can just love him and have that forever and that is a kind of like a glass half full kind of yeah. way of looking Sounds at it. Sounds like maybe. you're already getting over him Ali. Let's <laughs> move on to a storming game on Sunday Sheffield United 3, Manchester United 3 Sheffield United all over Man United for the first half 2-0 up, suddenly 3-2 down but pulled it back. Can we draw any conclusions Sam from a game this unusual? Uh, I think we can safely conclude that Sheffield United are really good. Mm. I mean, I I think it's a very easy mistake to make, and it's one that I'll, I'll put my own hands up and admit to. Um, it's very easy to think Sheffield United are sort of a team built on the old school character, desire, being tough to beat, and you know, good at set pieces. And some I some real flair to their play. Some of their passing, especially, was was really pleasant it, to watch. Exactly. And when they beat Arsenal, they they did it. They scored a goal from a corner and then defended quite well second half. And I sort of I, I sort of fell into that trap a bit in sort of writing it as you know this is a classic sort of set-piece goal and then sit back and defend part of the bus. But actually, that team is so much better than that. It's so much more organised. It's so much better drilled. And they actually play some really good football. And that midfield three of Fleck, Lundstrom and Norwood, I mean, those are names that you would not look at and think, yeah, they're going to be dominating midfields against top six sides. But they actually are. And the way that they've sort of choreographed everything and the tactics they play, I think, make them one of the most interesting teams in the league. Mm. They, they also dominated a really bad midfield on, on Sunday not yeah. not to take anything away from no, no, them no. but if you Fair, are yeah. they, they do have a midfield that dominates games but Man, Uni- Man United's midfield is bad at the moment do you, th- do you get the impression that Solskjaer is still motivating the players because there was such an alarming lack of effort and energy to we, their play we were the discussing this earlier and JJ's adamant that he, he is and I just I don't know I can't I, I can't see that I th- it looks like that could be an, quite an easy solution, easy answer to this problem. It's really hard to tell without actually being at the club and seeing what he does in a, the dressing room. But come on, have a guess. Wait, do well, some really I, irresponsible well, I th- guessing. I think he gets a hard time, Solskjaer. I think he knows what he's doing. I really do. And I think he's got a good team around him. But you saw when he took over and the instant rise in performances and then over time it's slowly going down. And it's because of the players they have at the club. It's the players that make the difference on the pitch. If they're not performing the way they should on the pitch, you can't, like shouting at them from the sidelines isn't going to change anything. It doesn't do anything. They can barely hear you for a start. Well, Sam's got his hand up, right? but that doesn't do anything. You can, and then at half time, you can try and put a rocket up them or you can try and encourage them. But like Solskjaer is trying to encourage the team and build something long term. And you but saw how much like, patience can you have with that? Well, you can't suddenly change it halfway through a season when there's nothing you can do. You can't buy new players right now, can you? Like, but and the midfield is really weak. Players, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. This, this, this sort of proves the point for me that. He's talking about if it's down to the players. Well, look at the two teams yesterday. And I know United's midfield was poor, but you cannot say, oh, yeah, that Sheffield United team is, is a better man-for-man team. It's not. It's just better coached. But the it's a better team. Better. It's better team. Because the coaching is but better. The player, but the thing is, like, so Man United's individual players, you'd probably say, like, well, Fred's a good player. He could probably play that Sheffield United team. But I don't think he would work very well in that team because it's been constructed around those players and they suit each other so well. I know this might not make sense, what I'm trying to say, but... 
United. Is, <laughs> that's the moment where you lost the argument. Uh, no, 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 no. But, but United's players are individually good, but they're not a team. It's not balanced. That's There's a coaching, that's a coaching job. thing. Then, no, it's right? not because you can't current, you can't suddenly coach Fred into being a better player than he is. You can you can do it over time and and work has done that team. for United players. They're yeah, all over like be better players three years. But then he's put them in and brought them in. Like he brought Norwood in. Like I think it was last January or something that, that he's worked very well. But he's Solskjaer at that has level. had a year. He has had a year with this team. Yeah, and he didn't sign any midfielders in the summer because he can't do it all at once. You've got yeah. to do three at a time, really, do, is all you can do. They do have bad injury problems. If, if United I'll, buy I'll a midfielder in January, they'll have Pogba, McTominay and probably a holding midfielder in in January. That is a much better midfield instantly and probably need another one after that. Uh, Victor Lindelof probably isn't in the answer. Juan Basaka, I don't think he's going to be a great player, but he's he'll do something. They've got Brandon Williams playing, so if he gets a few more games and does as well, he was in and out, you know, performing against Sheffield United. But if he plays a few more games, suddenly that's another free tra- uh, free transfer you've got. Who's a good player? Mason Greenwood, I think, is next level. And if you'd signed a striker in summer, I know even Solskjaer said it was a mistake. It's a lot of signings in. Here. I know, but you can't do it all at once. You got to do three at a time. That's what like most managers have said when you read them. But if you'd bought a striker in the summer, then suddenly Greenwood's path to the first team is blocked. And you can't play him. You've got to have room for Martial through the middle to play him. And you just signed Dan James. So the, the, the planning is there, but it'll only work if you stick to the plan with it. And he has won titles before. I know it's in Norway, but he still turned a team that wasn't very good into a title winner. And he can do that. Do you, this is a genuine question, do you think that Sheffield United will be with that, where they are if they had Solskjaer as their manager? And would United be where they are if they had Chris Wilder as their manager? Uh, I don't think Sheffield United would be where they are if Solskjaer was in charge, no because it's uh, totally different I'd really want to know how Wilder would what he would do at Man United and how long it would take because it's taken him a time to make Sheffield United how they are I don't think Sheffield United will finish where they are just now they've, they've scored what 16 and let in 12 so although they've got a, a good defensive record they don't score any and that will balance out over time and they will fall down the list and then all of a sudden people are saying well Chris Wilder's alright he's not amazing he's alright because it's you don't do so, certain things with the players. They're riding momentum just now. It will start to go wrong. Like they let in three against Man United in about seven minutes. Like tell, you, tell you what, though. Very exciting prospect if Chris Wilder goes to Man United. Phil Jones as an overlapping centre-back. <laughs> we would all love to see that. Well, Jones has been trying that for most of his career, despite his instructions not <laughs> to try that. So. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, then, under a little bit of pressure for Manchester United. Let's keep with that line of questioning and talk about the race for unemployment as it's written on this script don't know why we didn't call it the sack race just feeling contrary um, we'll start with Arsenal Sam um, Alexander Lacazette looked devastated when he equalised for Arsenal against Southampton potentially because he's realised he's saved Unai Emery's job <laughs> I don't think quite that I think it was more they'd played so badly and were so lucky to even get one point out of that that you couldn't really celebrate. It's like when, when it's very that, unusual to see someone ashamed mm. to have scored a goal. It was sort of like, we're so bad, it would sort of be rude to give this even like a, a, a small fist pump of celebration. Um, and well, they were. Well, he was just really unhappy with the performance. And yeah, it was just it, like, it was, I, I'm not happy. I'm not glad, really. Yeah, I mean, we I'm, can't be happy to have taken one point from yeah. this game. Um, they were just, I mean, abysmal, really, in the second half. Southampton should have scored at least three, maybe four or five second half. They were just tearing them apart at will. And I mean, something's badly, badly broken right now with Arsenal and under Emery. Um, the question is, the club gave him, I'm told, 
private backing before the Leicester game, saying we will support you. We're not, you know, there's no ultimatum. No, you have to win against Leicester or you're done. And they put um, out that statement after then the after Leicester, Leicester game, went they? public and said, we were backing him. We know results aren't good. We need to improve, but we're backing him. The question is, can you now go back on that within space of one game? I'm not sure you can. I'm not sure it's a good look to future managers, to future players, to anyone involved, to your owners. I'm not sure it's a good look to, to do that publicly and then come out a game later and say, actually, we've drawn with Southampton and it's time to go. But it's pretty obvious that things are so far from being right there that I really am struggling to see a way in which it turns around. They've got Norwich, Brighton and West Ham next. And you'd have to think that. So if they win those three, they have 10 points from 12 against Southampton and those three teams. And that, I think, would be the absolute bare minimum for Emery. I think if he doesn't do that, they're going to have to, they're going to, have to make a change. There is a point, you suspect, where the crowd becomes untenable, where it's just so vile that, I mean, that, that sort of ultimately has done for several managers in the last few years. There's, you get the sense that's coming at Everton a little bit, Ali. They were really poor at home, losing to Norwich. Um, do you think Marco Silva has any chance of turning things around there? It's really hard to see how he does. I really like the idea of a manager just being given time to turn something around because Silva obviously has some potential and has made team's quite good before. But, it? It's not that great a record, Marco Silva. I'm, I'm very <laughs> suspicious of on, Marco Silva. On a, on a short-term basis, in small patches, he has done. He's obviously not a complete idiot, I'm saying. But, uh, <laughs> but I'd, 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 I like the idea of him being given more time just because it's sometimes that, that works out. Like It's quite, it's quite nice, that the idea that uh, Man United are just investing in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and they're willing to wait a couple of years for... For, to see if he turns it around, to see if he can kind of build something. I don't see that happening with Silva, really. Um, I don't really see how he turns it around. Uh, Silva, in his Premier League career, has played against teams who started the day at the bottom of the table four times. Four times he's lost. He's he also, got an issue against smaller teams who are struggling. He never, ever changes anything. It's always the same setup. It's always defended like midway in a 4 2 3 one uh, then you've got another problem at Everton is that the recruitment has been for all the money they've spent it's been awful I'm not sure how much of that is Marco Silva's input and I think whoever comes I think Silva's probably done and I think whoever comes in after him will also be done in about a year and a half because there's no the players they're signing in aren't, aren't better than the ones they're getting really it's minimal and the money they're spending is not getting them anywhere higher up the table and so what, I don't know what they're going to do after it Steve Walsh was talking in an interview the other day and he says like Everton the board turned down Harry Maguire Andrew Robertson and uh, someone else I can't remember who's meant to be amazing and you think if you hire Steve Walsh to then oversee your he was director of football to to be in charge of all this stuff and then don't listen to him what what are you playing at and so whoever I don't know who they get in now that's got a better potential record than Marco Silva and what they would be able to do David Moyes. No, I can't. <laughs> Again, exactly the same thing. It, can it? They're, in, they're in a pretty tough position, Everton, aren't they? Because they're, they're one of those teams just outside the big six, financially looking at them enviously, and just there's just no way of them breaking into it. But I suppose like Leicester's success this season probably convinces people yeah. that there is there is some way in there. But They've spent, but, they've spent but, enough but, over the last few years to make you think they should be challenging. And I think Leicester are not just challenging for top four, but sort of absolutely flying. And you think of that and think... Why on earth couldn't Everton have done the same thing? There's absolutely no reason why Everton couldn't have planned in the same way and invested in the same way. What about West Ham, Ali? The team Spurs beat on Saturday. How much trouble are they and Manuel Pellegrini? And presumably it would help an awful lot if they had a competent goalkeeper. 
Yeah, he's so bad, <laughs> he's, isn't he? It's it? remarkable. Oh, I feel bad he's, for him. He's though. got to be the worst. That I, I can't believe it. I, I genuinely think that that game might not have ended in a Tottenham win if Fabianski had played. I think their record with and without Fabianski is is basically they win yeah. way more with him. Um, and I, I don't think that Tottenham would have won that. Both the, both the second and third goals could quite easily have been saved by a competent keeper. But yeah, I mean, that would make a big difference to Pellegrini. But um, he seems to have lost the fans really now. Um, he's an expensive manager meant to sort of brought promises of challenging for Champions League football with him and just not going to not going to do it is he mm. okay. and more sadness at Watford Sam 3-0 home defeat to Burnley do you think they're going to be this season's team which cycles through three or four managers throughout the campaign <laughs> that does feel like it's getting that way a bit I mean I don't really understand why I think we probably said it on the podcast but like when you hire a manager who's got not just no goodwill in the bank but like negative goodwill in the bank <laughs> from his previous stint like why would you do that? Why would you bring him in? They're supposed to be defensively solid, and they're just not. And they are. I mean, they are more. They are slightly more uh, solid, but I think he's just the, sacrificed yeah. any kind of competence in attack by. Uh, they, they're just. They're just not scoring goals now. They're, they're now sort of really bad rather than awful, which, which is sort of not a major improvement at all. And considering what Watford was sort of, you know, pick up finalists and the, the way that they'd looked so impressive for quite a long time under Grassi and there were so many building blocks there to work from the, the speed of which they've regressed is quite um, it's crazy amazing. isn't it and they've they've got a good squad they've got lots yeah. of good players in there but they're just I wonder if Troy Deeney solves everything <laughs> yeah he's done it before let's turn our attention now JJ to the game we thought would be leading off the podcast this time last week City versus Chelsea down below Watford in the running order remarkable still a very fun game quite eventful Chelsea a touch unlucky, did you think? The Mahrez goal was obviously brilliant for City to put them in front, but uh, the you know the equaliser was deflected. Willian and Mount went very close with absolute screamers. They they gave a good account of themselves at least. Yeah, I thought Chelsea were really uh, good. I was I, I thought Lampard would make the change that he did. And he, he took out he changed it from a four two three one to a to a three. But Candy played quite high up, which was interesting to try and help in transition. I think higher up the pitch and help the press. Uh, Kovacic, Jorginho and Kanti in midfield rather than um, having uh, Pulisic and Mount both up top but uh, I think City were always going to win this mm. they, the, the the gaps that Chelsea leave when they go forward are always there to be exploited and though they had Kovacic and Jorginho deep the entire time next to the, the centre-backs they still left those gaps and then City were getting 3v2 early on and creating chances that way mm. I think although I mean Mares coming onto his left foot to score that is that's the thing that City have brilliant individual players and the system helps them do it and without those individual players maybe they wouldn't be able to do this but they have those players mm. and Guardiola knows it and that's what this thing's set up for a definite sense that the gap has been closed a little bit between these two teams they lost yeah. Chelsea lost 8-2 on aggregate to Man, uh, Man City last season over four games um, City won three of those out of the four uh, including one on penalties do you think that is Chelsea getting better or City dropping off a little bit or a bit of both? I mean, it's a bit of both, isn't it? But okay. Chelsea are a lot better this this season. Uh, I watched them play at Crystal uh, Crystal Palace, came to, to Stamford Bridge to watch them and I thought they were so fun to watch, really attacking, they've got real purpose, they, they look like they know what they're doing. There's problems that need to be ironed out, but then you have to look at Manchester City and I think when you don't have a... A, those centre backs worked out. Like they really miss having Emerick Laporte in the back. You can you can tell there's a bit of uh, nervousness about it. John Stones just hasn't turned into the player that people thought he might. He looks a bit shaky all the time. 
Like he doesn't trust himself almost. It's a bit sad to see. Uh, Fernandinho is fine when they've got all of the ball, but I don't think he's going to be the answer in the future. Mm. So I'd imagine they'd look for someone in January to come in. Um, smarter people than me will know what this means better, but all three of Chelsea's defeats this season have been against Big Six. So oh, there are only three defeats being against Big Six. I wonder whether against teams like Palace, they can be quite open and flowing and, yeah. and, and, and get the win sort of through probability of averages and all that. Whereas against a team like City or even Man United first of the season or Liverpool, when you're that open, a better team will punish you. And could it be that there's an element of they've got lots of very good players but not really top class players? Someone like Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Pulisic are just that level, just below, can't quite do it against the I really, they're really best good teams. Though. I really they, think... are really, they are really good and they score against Watford and things but they don't score against the big, t- big <laughs> six. I think it is the way they're, they're, they're set up because when they, when they play teams like City, Lampard clearly wants to attack. Like so, example at Crystal Palace, they they attack with the front four across it, and they have another one that pops up on the side, and they try and overload, and they try and overload in wide areas. They get two v ones, three v twos, and stuff, and it works because they're just constantly at them. But they leave huge gaps. Uh, they leave two centre backs and maybe one midfielder. Usually, Jorginho is on his own to cover all this space, so they're they're open to counter attacks, and teams can come at them. Uh, I think the centre-backs are decent. I think they've got good players all over the place. But it's because they're leaving these gaps. Or when they play a team who's better than them and they don't adjust, they're not set up to to shut the game down. They still want to attack. Do you like think that's did. quite surprising? Just because just generally players base their managerial kind of philosophy on the managers that yeah. have influenced them. Lampard, you'd assume that would be Mourinho and... Chelsea are just really open, aren't they? On the on the counter, they concede so many goals. But then they're quite attacking. Like Kante, the goal that Kante scored was such a Lampard goal. He runs about forty yards uh, with the while the play is going on to run behind the last man and then scores it. Really nice finish, I thought. And uh, that must be something that Lampard wants him to do: is make that third man run and join in. Oh sure, I'm not. I'm not denying that yeah. they're doing what Lampard wants, but I'm just saying: is there sli- is it slightly surprising that they're not? Slightly more cautious. I'm glad they're not more cautious. It's really fun yeah, to absolutely. watch. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. But you'd think it's... a more pragmatic manager would make them super defensive away at the Etihad. Really it's... odd feeling to me, quite liking Chelsea at the moment. Uh, not sure I'm completely on board with it. What about their title challenges, Sam? Liverpool beat Palace mm. 2-1 at Selhurst on Saturday afternoon. What did you make of their performance? Another late goal. I mean... Very much so. This jerky time, etc. Jerky. Um, <laughs> they're... Uh, it's getting ridiculous now, the, the amount of time it's happened. That's eight points now they've taken um, in the last five minutes of games. Well, take eight as a result of goals in the last five minutes of games. And it, Robertson said afterwards that we just don't panic anymore because we've been in this position so many times before, we know we can do it. And I suppose the the more you do it, the more you believe you can do it. And then the more you believe you can do it, the more you actually do it, don't you? So it sort of fuels itself like a self-fulfilling circle. And um, it is remarkable that they're not actually defending anywhere near as well as last season they're not playing anywhere near as well going forward yet they're comfortably clear at the table and having more points <laughs> you, you can't really argue it's with it it's so much like old Man United it's so much like it as soon as Palace uh, scored I just knew Liverpool would score the scary thing is that this is if every team supposedly has a slump in the season this could be Liverpool's slump where they haven't played well for like weeks yeah. but they're winning every game they're surely going to come back into form Mo Salah Firmino are going to hit form eventually are they just going to get better? And we've always said, we always say, oh, well, what if someone like Salah or Firmino or Mane gets injured? Well, this weekend, Salah was injured. <laughs> they did it anyway. Yeah, I thought that was an immediately underrated finish from Firmino in that game. I think to slot it in where he did in that amount of traffic is just a, a remarkably 
uh, clever thing to have done. So well done, Roberto. <laughs> what do we make of uh, Wilfred Zaha's season? First goal of the year and a very good one. He completely mugged off Robertson. Um, mm. But a big miss at the end as well. Do you think he's holding his value for Palace at the moment? It's, it, struck, it strikes me that he may now be hanging around there a little bit too long and you know he might not go for quite as much at the end of this uh, season if he does go he wants out like again at the Crystal Palace game at Chelsea he was just moaning and whinging the entire time but it was at stuff so I found it interesting to watch him while play was on the other side of the pitch for example because if he started to make a run and his teammate didn't see it it was a risky pass he would throw his hands up and just be like oh like this idiot he th- I think he it looks like he thinks he's far better than his teammates which he probably is. Yeah, which because he is. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, but he knows it and that comes across in his performances and so he either tries too hard but even the best players in the world can't take two players on at once and go past them every single time. Messi can't do it. Uh, and Zaha tries it <laughs> but he gets doubled up on he gets kicked and as soon as he gets kicked he loses his head and you can see he starts to go a bit you could nuts. You could argue that he might be slightly better in a better team where teams don't have to worry about him solely. Definitely. Uh, so maybe he would would be even better at a bigger team. But yeah. I do think, I do think like, is he still now in, what, 70, 80 million pound player? I don't know if he is right at this moment in time. It's really tough to see what, where he would go next and what he does next. I mean, he's now 27. Um, you're going to want a five-year contract for your big move. Is a big club going to want to give him a massive wage until he's 32? I think that question has just gone completely out the window now that Mourinho's Tottenham manager because how long ago was it that we were saying where the hell is Mourinho going to manage next and now he's Tottenham manager so <laughs> literally anything can happen Will Zaha could probably go to like Barcelona or something <laughs> What about Leicester? They are second and another team who won at the weekend without playing enormously well um, they're 10 points into the top four, as in their margin for error to fall out of the top four is 10 points. Would they make it, JJ, do you think, at the end of the season? Do I think they'll make it in the top four? Yes. I Yes, I do. I think they're the real deal. They have... They're just so well balanced. Like, Defence is good. Everything is good. The, center, like, the, the spine is really strong. Then I think Ndidi is one of the best midfielders in the league. I think he could play for any of the top... Well, he is in the top four, but he could play for any big club. I think Manchester United should uh, go absolutely nuts and try and spend whatever they can get to get him in. James Madison is superb. You've got Ayose Perez who's getting goals. Vardy is a fantastic striker at the top. I, I, and Rodgers has them playing in a way that suits every single player, but is also the kind of football that he wants to play. He knows how to win titles. Like He made Celtic fantastic to watch. And they won everything. Like they were unbeaten in about sixty-nine games at one point, which I know people will slag off nice. the Scottish league, but uh, <laughs> nice. But uh, he uh, did make Celtic this unstoppable force when he was there, and Leicester on their way. And there's you know people will link him with jobs like Spurs and Arsenal, and that I don't see why he'd leave because there's so much room to build that Leicester team into something really impressive. It's the problem with this Leicester team potentially that. They are very reliant on that first eleven. Yeah. There aren't that many Definitely changes. Depth, so yeah. Va- yeah. yeah, Vardy drops out and there's a best big, that's big the problem. Big but there's no he European a football. Problem for a month. Yeah. yeah, and I suppose when they won the league, everyone said that the whole time and they, they just carried on, didn't they? They, they? they didn't lose anyone to injury. No, exactly. But I mean, there's maybe there's room to buy something in, in January, but it'd be squad depth. Then you have to make sure it's just an individual player who's better than what they've already got. That old cliche. But that's what they'd have to do. And then surely they can manage a whole season. I, th- I think Rogers would be tempted to 
if someone like Arsenal came in. So yeah, I think I know I know He's logically perfect. that's the perfect lo- decision for Arsenal, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But lo- logically speaking, um, obviously he's got a great thing going at Leicester and the timing of it would be odd, but just look at him and sort of maybe this is unfair based on things that, you know, aren't entirely true all the time. I've never really dealt with him myself personally, so I don't know him as a bloke, but everything you sort of see and hear about him suggests that he'd back himself to just turn Arsenal into Premier League winners immediately and he'd want that bigger profile and that bigger job mm, every chance what about Wolves finally Sam are they back to their best now do you think they're fifth next three fixtures are Sheffield United West Ham and Brighton mm-hmm. they look to me like they might be starting to prove this theory wrong about the Europa League that it's impossible to go into that in your first season and still thrive in the league it feels like just a few weeks ago we were saying, oh, Wolves are in big trouble. They're really struggling. You know, they're... This is the problem with a weekly podcast. So. I know. It's just what <laughs> happens so fast, doesn't it, Tom? <laughs> um, uh, eight matches unbeaten now in the Premier League. They're doing really... I mean, they seem to have sort of clicked back into sort of last year's form again. Um, I suppose the Europa League thing will be if they, when they get to the knockout stages and all that and the pressure comes on a bit more and it's more intense. That might, might be another factor then because they haven't got a huge squad. But they're just so solid and so well organised and they sort of remind me a bit of Sheffield United not in terms of style but in terms of you know who's going to play they each know what their role is within that within that system and, and collectively they just sort of dominate it and someone's phone just went off and it wasn't mine it was mine <laughs> for the second time Ooh, in the show I've turned so, it off before going to be yeah. suspended until New Year I think Wills draw a lot of games is everything and that has been something consistent in you know Espirito Santo's career I was looking at him early on mm. giving him his full name that's Nuno Espirito to you uh, that's correct (laughs) Uh, Valencia Porto and uh, Rio Ave heaps of draws heaps of draws what's crazy is they're fifth which great well done but they've only they've only won four games out of 13 so once you get out of the top four it's just madness in this league as well based on the Europa League question if they've managed to get over it if they just won one game Fewer, less than they've uh, than they've managed. I think it's fewer. It is fewer. Yeah, fewer, yeah. If they'd one game one game fewer, then then they would be sitting in like eleventh or twelfth. You'd be like, well, it's gone all wrong for them. It's just yeah, one game, that, you that, know. That does sound like me. I love that Jimenez goal purely because of the Traore. Assist. Oh, it's so good. I mean, Traore must be the most fun player to watch in the league. I think we said it before, but like, surely like he's the fastest player in Premier League history ever. Phil Jones for me, most fun player to watch. Also, the fact just before they conceded, I mean, I have to admit, I only watched the highlights, but just before they conceded, I saw him defending at the near post from a free kick, and I thought, why is he there? Surely you want him on the halfway line. And then he just headed it into his own net. So you didn't watch back all the games, 90 minutes. (laughs) Really, really uh, on the spot here. Lazy lazy journalism, Ali, I think is the term. Let's finish off by talking about Gareth Bale, who posed this week after Wales qualified for the Euros behind that. Very amusing flag saying Wales, golf, Real Madrid. And we have put this question to each of you and to our friends on social media. When have you suspected a footballer of having skewed priorities? We had a good response to this on social media. Ali says Michael Owen for his entire spell at Newcastle United. Martin says Michi Batswai every time he comes off the bench for Chelsea. And Teddy says when I saw Chris Martin in the Kensington High Street McDonald's after a Fulham loss, not a care in the world. I assume he means the footballer, not the Coldplay singer. (laughs) Ali, what have you got? Um, Well, this isn't really such a negative thing, uh, but it was just, it was quite nice when he was at Spurs. Benoit Asuakoto just openly admitted that he didn't really like football, it was just a job. And he was just he was just getting on doing it to make to make money. 
Yeah, Thank that you. was less fun for me at QPR when we were desperately trying to get him out of the championship. <laughs> and he really making, didn't seem to care. <laughs> and he was making loads of money. Yeah, he was probably making more money for QPR than at Spurs. What about you, Sam? Uh, I would suggest the moment that Nicholas Bentner donned his bookmaker branded <laughs> pants for a match was a suggestion, was a moment in which his priorities were, were skewed yeah. for an international match. Yeah, I think you might have a good point, JJ. Uh well, there's a lot of players who just don't like football. I think that's it. Just becomes a job at some point, right? I mean, Wilfred Zaha seems to hate it at the moment whenever he's on the pitch. I always quite like how footballers have gone into doing video games. Like some of them want to be like YouTubers. <laughs> Meza Ozil plays Fortnite all the time, doesn't he? Does he? I think he makes a bit of money out of it as well. <laughs> so, so, someone did the maths on this once. I, I, I don't know if it's true or not. I've I've never played Fortnite, thankfully. But um, basically, based apparently based on like the average number of games that. Ozil's played or and, and the average length of a Fortnite game apparently <laughs> spends like six hours a day playing Fortnite <laughs> so someone we once sort of spoke to a, a TV journalist at Arsenal and he said oh, what should I ask Emery we, we sort of said jokingly I'll get him on a on a Ozil's Fortnite situation and he actually asked the question he said uh, Unai is it true that Meza's got a bad back because he's been playing so much Fortnite <laughs> and Emery was like uh, no oh and it was really yeah. enjoyable. Um, sorry, that's a massive aside there. That's much better than I was going to say. I had nothing else to add. <laughs> I, thought your, I thought your computer game footballer was going to be Chris Kamara. Do you remember Chris Kamara's street soccer? Uh, no. Yeah, it wasn't very good. That one. It wasn't no. very good. David Myler's really good at Remember the guy who used to play for Hull, I think? Was yeah. It? Yeah, he's, uh, he was very good at FIFA. Mm. I think he tried to get him to be a pro at it, but he's not done that. Have you played him at FIFA? No. I don't play FIFA, I play Pro Evo. It's oh, great. Pretty cool. <laughs> pretty cool guy. <laughs> That is your lot until next week's episode of Audio Football Club. Of course, you can contact me on Twitter before then if you'd like to. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. Why not follow me on Twitter as well for basically just a stream of adverts for this podcast and the occasional retweet of other things I enjoy. It's a not very exciting Twitter account. What if you don't like Twitter? You could always send us an email, couldn't you? Good old email. The address is afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk and we'll read out the best of what you send us. Subscribe to Audio Football Club. For goodness sake, just look for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.